Repentance or conversion means that we have turned over a new leaf. It means that we do not live like unbelievers around us, but that we live godly lives. We have turned away from our old ways and gone over to the new. The Bible gives us all kinds of examples of that kind of repentance. Think of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, for example. Paul commends the Ephesians for having turned away from their former way of life to a new way of life. He says to them in Ephesians 1, verse 1 and 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In his letter to the Galatians, he describes what the desires of the sinful nature are like. He says in Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says that those desires are contrary to the Spirit. For the desires in according with the Spirit of God are in conflict with the desires in according with the Spirit of our sinful nature. And then further on in this chapter, the Apostle gives us the famous list of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if we are people who, read, who lead repentant lives, then we will show the fruit of the Spirit instead of the fruit of our sinful nature. That's where our difficulty comes in. It's a good thing that we are dealing with this right now for this letter. As you know, is introductory, this catechism is introductory to the Ten Commandments. After this Lord's Day, we are going to take a look, a close look at each individual commandment. But before we do that, the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism want to make sure that we understand what the doing of the law is all about. They first want us to have the right perspective when it comes to the doing of the law, when it comes to repentance. And it is absolutely marvelous in the way that the Heidelberg Catechism treats this topic. And in a moment you will see why. The Heidelberg Catechism is truly a book of comfort. For as you will see this morning, the authors have a keen eye for the wonderful mystery of God's word. It's a mystery, it's a secret that is revealed to you and to me. It is revealed only to those who want to listen to what God has to say. And so, listen, and take it to heart. This morning we are going to discover once again what secret what mystery God has revealed to you and to me. I will preach to you about true repentance. 
And then we will see that it is two things. It is, first of all, an act of love. In the second place, it is a gift of love. I'll state that once again. I will preach to you about true repentance. It is, first of all, an act of love. Secondly, a gift of love. At first glance, the way that the authors of the catechism deal with our conversion or repentance, we might not be so impressed. It seems that the catechism gives quite a lame answer as to the question about true repentance or conversion of man. You would expect something more direct, something more prescriptive and descriptive. You would think that a catechism would follow its own advice with regard to the scripture passages that are quoted at the bottom. For you will note that answer 88 gives as supporting text the passage in Colossians 3, the verses 5 through 10. And there Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 5 through 10, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all sins as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And so you see, Paul here is quite direct. He doesn't beat around the bush. He shows us what to do and what not to do. Question and answer 88 give the tone for what follows in the rest of this Lord's Day. For question and answer 89 and 90, give us an elaboration of the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. And again, at first glance, the answers that are given here are not all that satisfactory. They're not very directive. Answer 89 speaks about the grieving with a heartfelt sorrow and answer 90 about the heartfelt joy in God through Christ. We read that more and more we must flee from sin and hate it, and that we must live according to the will of God. These are very general answers. They do not speak specifically about what we must do. For when you speak about conversion, should you then not right away think about doing away with sin, with the getting rid of our old habits and attitudes, And as we saw, isn't that also scriptural? The authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, however, do not do that. But what do they do? Well, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, I hope you are listening too, that's where we find the solution to our mystery. And that's where we also see the beauty of the Heidelberg Catechism. We are directed... Not to the law as such, but we are directed to the lawgiver. We are not told what to do, but for whom to do it. We are directed to God. The authors appeal to our relationship with our Father in heaven. This treatment of the topic shows how in tune the authors were with the word of God. 
for they looked at all of scriptures. And they understood what it was all about. They understood that our relationship with God is not maintained by doing things. That our relationship with God is not maintained by keeping the law. The law was not put into effect in the first place. Why do you think that God gave the law to men? Do you think that he gave the law to us so that he can control you? So that he can order you around? So that he can restrict your lives? Well, don't think that for a moment. The Lord God gives his commandments because of the relationship of love that he has established with us. Please understand that. If you understand that, and if you put that into practice, then that will change your whole attitude. It will change your attitude towards the law. It will change your attitude towards God. It will change your attitude towards your brother and sister in the Lord. That is the wonderful secret that God has revealed to us. Think about why God created Adam and Eve. He created them in order to be in a covenant relationship with them. He did not create them in order to obey his rules. No, he wanted to be close to them. He wanted them to glorify his name. He wanted to endow them with every good gift. And he wanted them to give thanks to him for his wonderful gifts. And he created them with a free will so that they could serve him without being coerced. And he walked and he talked with Adam and Eve. Well, sure, there were rules in paradise. Adam and Eve had to do what God required of them. But because of the relationship of love that they had together, that was only natural. The laws were there because of the relationship, not the other way around. The relationship was not there because of the law. God did not put the rules first and then establish the relationship. While in paradise, the Lord God walked and talked with them. They had a perfect relationship. Before the fall into sin, Adam and Eve acknowledged the Lord their God for the great God that he is. And they admired him and they gave thanks to him. They looked up to him. They adored him. They felt an incredible bond of unity with God. God created them with an act of love and they fully understood that. And in spite of the fall into sin, God once again sought man out. He did not reject them. He does not reject you and me either. The most beautiful words you will ever hear, you hear every time at the end of a worship service when God says that he will turn his face towards you. In other words, he is in a relationship with you. In other words, he is not angry with you. He loves you. He wants to be with you. 
For He created you and me, and He wants us to be in fellowship with Him forever and ever. That's why He sent His Son, brothers and sisters. He wants to look you in the face. But that means that you must also want to look at Him. What is the dying of the old nature? As you know, the dying of the old nature is doing away with sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke the relationship with God. But then God turned around and He sought them again. He turned His face towards them. He was still favorably inclined towards them. He still wanted to maintain his covenant relationship with them. And the only way that that was possible was through his son, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why he also enacted all the laws, the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament that pointed to Christ, that pointed to his great love for his people. And he did everything in his power to make it happen that they would have that relationship with Him maintained. And the Lord Jesus Christ came down to earth. He became a lowly human being. He allowed Himself to be humiliated in every way possible. And in the end, He did shed His blood. He allowed Himself to be rejected, not only by men, but also by God. It is the most unselfish and it is the most wonderful act that has ever happened in the history of mankind. There is no greater event in all of history. And so you and I, we owe God a great deal. As a matter of fact, we owe God everything. We owe Him our life from beginning to end. Not only did He create us, He also recreated us in His image through His Son. And now He made it once again possible for us to live with Him in eternal bliss forever and ever. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, do you not love the Lord your God for that? What a great and wonderful and merciful God you have. He loves you because you are His child. Now, do you want to disappoint such a God? Do you want to offend such a God? If you truly love Him, then you don't. Then you do not want to live as if God does not exist. He exists. He created you, and He loves you. And therefore, for a Christian, it is not about the law in the first place, but it is about God, who is the lawgiver. But why, then, are those laws in place? Well, they are only a description of our relationship with Him. If you love Him, then you don't want to give your heart over to other idols, to money, to material things. And then you don't want to be greedy. And if you're not greedy, then you won't steal either, for example. Then you don't want to break any of God's commandments because the Lord God has given you 
so much, so much greater and richer things to enjoy. Now the problem with us is that we take our relationship with God for granted. That's what we're like as human beings, aren't we? Isn't that what we are like in our human relationships? When at first you are in love with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, then you will do everything to please him or her. You will always want to show the best side of you. When your girlfriend is standing by the sink to do the dishes, for example, then you'll pick up a towel and help her. Your mother can nag you for hours to help around the house, but that will fall on deaf ears. But not when your girlfriend asks you to do something. You want to create a good impression. And you don't want to offend her in any way. And then once you are married, then often you take each other for granted. And that is why the command to love, to love God and to love your neighbor stays in effect because of our sin we need to be reminded we need to be reminded of the relationship when it comes to little things we disappoint each other in many ways but because we're all sinful we easily overlook those things but when it comes to the big things when we do something seriously wrong then we will have a hard time facing loved ones our parents our husband or wife or our friends. And the only way that you can set things right again is to ask for forgiveness and by assuring others that it will never happen again. You want to be in the right relationship. That's also the way it is with our relationship with God. You don't want to offend God. You don't want to disappoint Him. For who is the one who establishes and maintains our relationship And again, that is not something that we do. God is the one who establishes the relationship. And therefore, He is also the one who actually gives repentance. We come to the second point. We read together from Acts 11. After the Apostle Peter explained to the other apostles and brothers about how the Gentiles turned to God, they said, So then... God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. God granted repentance unto them. It's not something that they did. And how did he give repentance to these Gentiles? How do you think? Well, that's clear from what we read further in Acts 11. We read there in verse 20 that some newly converted men from Cyprus and Cyrene spoke to the Gentiles the good news about the Lord Jesus. What is that good news? The good news is that God sent his Son on earth to deal with sin so that everyone who believes can have eternal life. The disciples did not come with the do's and don'ts of the law but they came with the gift of salvation to all who would listen. When we read in Colossians 3 about how we must put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature, then we have to read that also within the context that the Lord God has given us. What does Paul state first in chapter 3? He says, Since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so here, once again, before he becomes with a demand to put to death your old nature, before he comes with the law, he comes with the gospel of salvation. It is because of the good news that God establishes the relationship with us. And out of that relationship flow the rules. Think about it. Isn't that the way it is also within a good marriage? If you truly love your partner, then you will not even think about cheating on him or her. You love each other too much. You don't want to disappoint each other. And then the rule, you shall not commit adultery, is actually written on your heart. You don't want to sin against your wife or your husband in that horrible way. You love him or her too much for that. And then you don't keep yourself from committing adultery because of the rule, but because of the love. Well, that's also the way it is with the Lord our God. And once again, brothers and sisters, here you find the secret of God's word concerning our repentance. May God forbid, but suppose you were to commit adultery. If you truly love your marriage partner, then both of you would be mortified, wouldn't you? There would be a lot of tears. You will be terribly disappointed in your partner. And the guilty party will be terribly disappointed in him or herself. You will be overcome by emotions. You can also fake such a reaction. If there is no real love, and you don't really care, then you can pretend to be sorry. And you can even perhaps produce fake tears. That happens only if you do not truly love your partner. But now look again at the words of the Catechism, and look at the wonderful answer that is given concerning our repentance. In answer 89, we read about grieving with heartfelt sorrow, and in answer 90, about heartfelt joy. The author describes here our human emotions. Human emotions well up from inside of you. And they come about because of what lives in your heart. Unless you're an actor or an insincere person, you cannot make yourself feel one way or the other. You cannot fake your emotions. They happen to you. If something terrible happens, or if something great happens, then you either become joy sorrowful or joyful. And that is what the Catechism is speaking about with regard to our relationship to the Lord our God and the remorse of our sins and our joy to live for God. This is not something that you can make happen. Joy and Sorrow do not come about because of your efforts. You cannot make those kinds of feelings happen. But they come about because of the relationship that you have with the Lord your God. Suppose your child, you get a message that your child has died in a terrible accident. You will be truly sorrowful. Tears will flow. 
That is because of the relationship you have with him or her. And that is why it is so beautiful the way the Heidelberg Catechism deals with us about our sins. If you sin against God, then you feel remorseful. You mourn. You will not feel remorse or joy if you do not have a close relationship with the Lord your God. Then you will not be sorry about your sins. And then you will not be joyful either about living in accordance with the law of God. It is true that repentance is something that is commanded. You have to turn away from your sins. And you have to keep God's law. And therefore, human effort is required. But such repentance you do not do for yourself. The world does it for itself. Worldly people also repent. Did you know that? They will repent from their destructive lifestyles. They will repent from having wronged others. But such repentance with them is done only for their own sakes. It is not done because of the relationship with God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Judas repented from betraying the Lord Jesus. But after that he hung himself. Judas did not experience the forgiveness of sins. Judas did not experience the renewal of life. Judas did not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. When you repent in a godly manner, then you receive the renewal of life. Look at how David repented from his sin. He said that his sin was ever before him. And then he said in Psalm 52, against you, Psalm 51, against you, against you alone have I sinned. And then he grieved. He said, please, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Dave was sorrowful because of the relationship that God had established with him. But when you repent in a godly manner, then you will receive renewal of life. Then you receive it because of the relationship that God has established with you. And so in the end, it's not something that you do after all. But it's something that God works in you. When you repent, then God turns his face towards you again. And then you also want to look at the face of God. And you can. For he is a loving God. He is a merciful God. And he has also taught you to love. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we must love the Lord our God. How did you learn to love the Lord your God. Think about it. Think about how children learn to love. They learn to love only because they were loved first. If you do not love your child, then he or she will never ever learn to love others. And that's the way it is with our relationship with God too. He loved us first. And so we must love him. Brothers and sisters, we do not therefore have to be uneasy concerning the topic of conversion. Conversion does not come about by human effort. It's 
God's gift to you. It's a daily gift. For repentance is a daily activity. For we sin against God all the time. We do that every day, day in, day out. And day in, day out, God maintains His relationship with you. Isn't that wonderful? If you are truly sorry for your sins, then He forgives you and He turns His face towards you. He loves you in spite of the fact that you are a sinner. Amen.